When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. We observe today not a victory of party, but a celebration of freedom. Across the UK, online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. The Human Zoo, where they don't hide away the sick animals. Dangerous mid-morning debate with the great dictator. The independent republic of Mike Graham. Stand to attention when I'm talking to you! On Talk Radio. Dismiss! Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk Radio. It's the start of a massive week for all primary school kids as the SATs get underway today in the hottest of temperatures in the classroom and right in the middle of hay fever season. More genius from the Department of Education. Whenever will they actually learn about children and how to teach them properly and how to give them proper exams and put them under pressure at the right time of the year? Daisy McAndrew is with me all this week. We're kicking off with another charity scandal. It's already been an annus horribilis for the charity sector. But what with the prostitution scandals involving Oxfam in Haiti and the sexual harassment tales from Save the Children in London. We're now told the pounds you donate online are being snaffled quite legally by websites like Just Giving, set up to maximise donations to things like the Grenfell Tower Fund and the Manchester Terror Attack. Over the course of a decade, they could up to up, add up to over 30 million quid. They're taking about 3 million a year out of the charity sector. It's an absolute disgrace and we're going to get to the bottom of it. 0344 499 1000. Coming up a little bit later on, we'll be asking why the BAFTAs have gone so down market and we'll be revealing why you should be scared of caterpillars on the Norfolk coast. 0344 499 1000. You listen to me, and Mike Graham, and Daisy McAndrew on Talk Radio. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. We are talking about this scandalous story uh, which we uncovered over the course of the weekend, which is that websites like Just Giving, and they're not the only ones, are actually taking a cut of yeah. the gift aid that you give. When you give money to uh, your friend who's running in the marathon, when you give money to if you wish, the Haiti Earthquake uh, Fund or the Grenfell Disaster Fund or the Manchester Bombing Fund, it always asks you, do you wish to make a gift aid donation? Yes, Which if means you're a taxpayer. If you're a taxpayer, they can then yeah. claim the tax back and they can sort of double the donation, right? Yeah. Or double the tax from it anyway. But they're snaffling it. But they're taking it away. Bit. And yeah. to the tune of something like three million quid a year, let's talk to Ian McQuillan, uh, who's the director of Rogaray, uh, because he can perhaps shed some light on this and tell us what is going on. Uh, Ian, a very good morning to you. Welcome to the show. Morning. Uh, you're at Plymouth Uni's fundraising think tank. So, I mean, the charity sector hasn't had a great year, has it? 
Uh, no, but it, it doesn't have a lot of good years recently. So this is just, a, you know, a, all grist to the mill in that at the moment. So I think the thing with, um, with uh, the, the, the question about gift aid and the, the payment here, there's two questions you want to ask. Yeah. Is one is why are they charging a fee in the first place? Mm. And the second one is why are they taking a fee out of the gift aid, yeah. which is on top of the donation? Right. So in, t- in answer to the first question, they're charging a fee for two reasons. First, all fundraising costs money. It's a bit of a myth that you can give some money to charity and all of that will just go directly to the cause and, uh, you know, some of it has to be spent on, a, uh, on overheads and some of it also has to be spent on raising more money. So a proportion of that goes into raising even more money for the future. Why they're taking a, a slice out of gift aid, the, the actual uh, money you reclaim from the government, is a different question. What ch- just giving and other websites do is they will reclaim the gift aid on behalf of the charity. So it's an admi- administrative process they go through there. I guess that they are taking a part of that to cover the, the, the overall cost. So mm. overall, they're taking a 5% of the amount of money that they collect, which is from your donation and from the, from the gift aid, and they proportion it out 5% from your donation and 5% from the gift yeah. aid. I think one of the questions about that, though, is that if you give to Just Giving and you give them, say, £10, and they take 50% out, of, uh, 5% out of that, that's out of your donation. But to come out of the gift aid, it's actually coming out of a lot of other people's donations yeah. as well. Well, so surely as well, Ian, the point, surely the point about all of this is that somewhere uh, what you've just explained to us and to everybody listening should be written down somewhere so that you can go and read it, shouldn't it? Oh, yeah. It's all on their website. I mean, it, it, you know, I've, I've, I've refreshed myself at the moment. So it, it's all on the website. It explains how they collect the gift aid. It explains what they do. What yeah, but it doesn't say that. It doesn't say that where it says, would you like to make a, a gift aid donation? And it then should say, surely, from which we will take a percentage. Um, I'm not sure where about it, 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 whether it says that when you donate, because I haven't it donated. I've, I've not donated through, through um, uh, Just Giving. So, I mean, I'll, 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 take, um, I'll, I'll take your word that it doesn't do that. But if you were going to round there and you were going to do a bit of um, looking at the website, it's within a couple of levels. It, there's a lot of information about there about the fees oh, sure they take, is. why they take them. Um, and I think, you know... It, it comes back again. A lot of this, the, the question is, uh, there's been, there's been a l- just giving, and uh, mainly just giving, have got a lot of criticism for the fees that, that, that they charge. And then again, this just seems more on top of that. I think I'd really like to reiterate is that you cannot actually do fundraising without it costing money and somebody has to pay for that, for that cost. So the actual 5% that you charge, so if, you, if, you, if somebody raised £1,000 through Just Giving uh, and Just Giving will take £50 out of that and then they, rec- they collect the, 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 the £250 gift aid and Just Giving take a bit more to add to that, the charity gets £1,250, Just Giving takes £62.50. That's a return on investment of 20 to 1. Most charities would bite your arm off if you said, if you give us 50 quid, we'll give you another £1,000. So the numbers just stack up for charities. It really, really works for them. But can I ask you a wider question about gift aid, you know, the, the policy? And the, because I think a lot of people, when you tick that box, you think, well, that's just you know, money for nothing, so it's just giving the charity extra money. But, of course, it's not. It's actually coming out of, of the you know, co- taxpayers' money. So the, it's coming out of the government's money. And I'm not sure that I approve of, of the whole idea because when you pay your taxes, it's for the government to spend it on things like the NHS or you know, filling in potholes or whatever it might be. And then when they just have to hand it back to charities, some charities, of course, are very, very good causes, but some charities are not causes that I particularly want to support. And I'm not sure I approve of gift aid per se. That is the argument that's been raised against gift aid in the past, is that... Um, charities are getting donations, but you didn't donate that. That was money that was going in your tax that you had exactly. to pay. 
that if you wanted to have given it to a charity, you'd have given it um, in the yeah. first place. So that is actually an argument that's used that, that actually been a, a raised against the the whole principle of gift yeah. in the past. And, and, and I know, would I support that, that argument. <laughs> I can say that has some legs. That's that's a valid argument. Um, the argument that when it started out was that this was the government, um, uh, you know, doing right by charities and giving them a financial boost. So I think there's arguments either way on that. Because the, the other side of it is that um, you know, it's not just charities who benefit from gift aid. It's um, sort of very rich individuals uh, you, you know, doing charitable donations and getting you know, a lot of um, tax credit or you know, tax benefits from that. If you're a higher level, um, uh, so if. If you're, you know, somebody like me um, um, who, who doesn't play, get pay high level tax, no, all of the money that, that you know that I would donate to charity, I can't claim any of that back. No, but if you're if on I'm more than two hundred and fifty thousand pounds, if I'm the higher level um, tax player, I can claim um, the, the difference between the lower level and the higher level back goes as is, is a claim mm. back to me. But in the United States. Um, Tax, um, uh, tax incentives have actually been, you know, it's one of the reasons why in the USA people tend to give a bit more money to charity proportionally than they do here, because there are the tax incentives. So if we are thinking about from the, should people get a benefit from giving to charity, that's one argument. The other argument is that this does encourage people to give to charity more. So, again, arguments both ways depending on which principle you're looking at it from. The, ma- the major principle here, Ian, is that there are people in the charity sector who are being, it's at the very least, disingenuous and at the very most uh, obfuscating about what happens to the money that you give them. And I think you'll find that a large proportion of the people who do give to charity are now questioning whether they will on the basis that they don't know what's happening to the money. It's all very well for you to say, oh, well, you can't raise money and it doesn't cost anything. But how about there's an organisation called Wonderful.org, right? Uh, And here's their advert. It says, you don't train, race and fundraise for profit, nor do we. You can be sure that the only people to benefit from your effort and the generosity of your sponsors is the charity you're supporting when you create your fundraising page at Wonderful.org. Now, now that to me is a straightforward statement. They say, you trained for 12 weeks, ran a half marathon and raised £1,000 for charity. P.S. Why not pocket 50 quid for some new trainers? That's effectively what the charities are doing. That's effectively what they're not telling us they're doing. And that, to me, is dishonest. Well, the, the charities aren't taking the money from this. It's just giving and the websites that charge. How well, no, the charities are taking an awful lot of money for administrative fees, as we know from some of the larger ones, like Oxfam and Save the Children. We know that. We're not arguing about them today. Well, but there's an awful lot of money that doesn't go to the cause. Uh, you, you can't, can't argue run, with that, but you, 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 cannot, you cannot run um, an organisation like Oxfam without doing fundraising, without paying your staff, without paying. Yeah, but you don't have to pay your staff without... six-figure sums, do you? Uh, the... Do you? Okay. Well, we've gone into a different debate here. We've gone no, we haven't. Questions. It's the same debate. It's about okay. where the money well, goes. Then I'll answer it. Then what you need to be able to do is improve the lives of your beneficiaries. Um, so yeah, not your own life. It's not make your own poverty well, history. I, 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 I'll answer the question if you'll give me the time to do so. I will indeed. So. Cancer Research UK, Oxfam like that, there are beneficiaries who depend on those. What you need to be able to do is to provide the best research, the best service, the best people that you can working on that. If you think the best thing to do is actually to pay, say, um, a director of research, a chief executive, someone like that, and you pay them £150,000 because the good that they will do will be transformative, then that is the thing that you need to do. So if you could pay somebody to work at um, you know, a big cancer charity, and this person, you're going to pay them a salary of four 
£400,000, but they are going to organise the organisation in such a way that they are going to bring forward a cure for all types of cancer, then, you know, that's money well spent. Well, it is money well spent, but there's no evidence that the people who are being paid those kinds of sal- salaries are doing anything other than being paid large salaries. And, they, and their argument actually isn't your argument, Ian. Their argument is, in order to get the top, the top people to work in the top jobs, you need to pay a competitive salary. But the point is, it's about charity. It's about people who give money. And the charity sector has now ballooned into a massive multinational business, right, as you know. And the trouble is that an awful lot of people who give money are fed up with it being used for things which have nothing to do with the people they're trying to help. Charity is about... The charity sector is about helping people. Really? Uh, well, of course. You know, the, the RNLI exists to pull people out of the sea. Cancer research exists to cure people with cancer. Guide Dogs for the Blind exists to help visually impaired people with, 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 um, with dogs that can help them. Yeah, but it's you become an industry, though. Don't you agree, well, you're using words like industry. It, it is an industry. Pro- it, well, it needs to be professional. If you're going to train people, if you're going to have researchers, you'd, you, you wouldn't want to give a lot of your money to a bunch of people that couldn't... You wouldn't want an organisation the size of Cancer Research UK with a bunch of people that weren't qualified to run an okay, organisation. OK, well, what, are just, what, are what, what is the expertise that just giving are bringing to the charity sector? Exactly. And why are they taking money? OK, well, just giving, like, it's a business. So it's OK, up, thank you. It's set up as a well, business. that's all I was asking. Yeah, well, just giving is a business. So right. just giving exists as a, prof- as, as a so business. So they're profiteering make- off of people's uh, goodwill. They're making money from providing a service to charities. And lots of people make money from providing a service to charities. I know they do. That's the, the problem. Electric- the electricity company provides um, services, and the gas company, they make money from charities. The people that actually provide um, their paper clips charge, you know, make money out of charities. It seems very strange that what we can do is we can lord the capitalist society that we have here, that people make loads of money. What's it going to do with capitalism? You can make, well, we make make fizzy, you know, people make fizzy drinks, they sell them to kids. Why are you arguing about capitalism? We're talking about charity. If it wasn't for capitalism, there wouldn't be any charity. We're talking about an organisation here um, that is a business. In all other walks of life, business is fantastic. You know, you're a marketing director of a company that makes fizzy drinks and sells them to children, that's fine. You don't like that? Are you you against fizzy drinks being sold to children? Are you against fizzy drinks being sold to children? You're a marketing director of a company that makes um, uh, the sales uh, services to a charity to raise more money, and you're actually doing really good in the world, and that's something terrible. But if you, I'm if not saying it's terrible, Ian. I'm just saying that there shouldn't be so much, so much money being made from people's comes, genuine goodwill. This is a situation that is often discussed. You, you, you were talking about wonderful.org and why. Well, what do you know about them? Don't, I don't know much about those, but okay. you said why charities don't use those. So this is a question that often comes up in the fundraiser discussion forum on, on, on Facebook about why you know they use just giving and pay for that and don't use a lot of the other organisations the way you know they 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 don't charge and they've got their costs covered elsewhere yeah. and they keep going to just giving because and I, I don't, you know I'm, I'm hesitant to say this because I don't have any just connection with just giving I don't want to sound like I'm advertising or promoting them but the reason a lot of fundraisers use just giving is because they provide a good service they're well, first reliable. of all they should change they the name of the company to to not just giving but taking as well shouldn't they if you want to say that, you can. I know you're making a rhetorical point about this, but, you know, with um, Just Giving is provides a platform for people to give. You pay them to, 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 for the service that you provide because mostly when people provide services in most walks of life, you pay for Yeah, but service. when you buy a service, you know what you're buying, right? If you're giving money away, which is what these people are doing, they are not expecting loads of people to be making money off it. That's my point. If you no, buy a fizzy right. drink... If you, Ian, if you buy a fizzy drink... Hang on. If you buy a fizzy drink, Ian, from a fizzy drink company, you're expecting to line the pockets of the horrible capitalist that you so despise. However, if you give money... 
I'm not talking about. I'm not talking about you personally. Don't be so sensitive. What I'm saying is, is that if you actually give money to a charity, you should expect that money to go to the cause to which you have given it. That's all. You're absolutely right. People do expect every time they give money to charity, they expect all of that money to be spent directly on the yes. cause. And it can't be. Because you can only do that once. If a charity has a million pounds in the bank or five million pounds in the bank and you want them to spend all that money on the cause, like you're saying, and help the kids, whatever, you can do it, but you can do it once. Because once you've spent it, you've got no more money. But you've Ian, no Ian money the, pro- the, the problem is that there's, there's a huge um, variation between different charities as to how much they spend on you know, bricks and mortar and how much they spend on salaries and how much actually goes to the to the cause that they're, you know, that they're supposed to be supporting. And I think that's again one of the problems that it needs to be more transparent. I know you can find out um, you know, which is best and I've always been told that the Samaritans and Comet Relief were particularly good at not spending too much feathering their own nest and getting the money out there but there is a big difference between charities isn't there? Uh, there is, and it often depends on the on the type of causes. That, so there, there's a kind of a little joke in the in the fund in the charity sector that the best money uh, the best charity to raise money for would be donkeys with cancer in a lifeboat because people would throw money at it. Yeah. So a cancer charity, for instance, you can raise a pound by spending about eight or ten pence. But if you're talking about a mental health charity or a refugee charity or a charity that looks after um, prisoners and ex-convicts, you're getting up to around forty-five to fifty pence in the pound because it's just a much more difficult. Um, uh, calls to raise money for. Um, so, it, 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 you know, lots of charities do have different um, overhead and fundraising costs, but that's partly... De- when you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Depending on the cause that you're raising money for. For some, it's much easier than others, and for some, it's more difficult. No, I see that. That, that, that some, it's, it, it's an easy sell, and others, it's a hard sell. But, you know, charities, a huge amount of charities still have, you know, final salary pension schemes, which is ridiculous. Well, you've got ma- many of them with millions and millions of pounds in the bank. It's a reserve, which is not required. But listen, Ian, you've been very helpful. Thank you very much, indeed. We've got to leave it there. Ian McQuillan, uh, directory, uh, directory? No, director <laughs> of Rogari. Apparently, it's uh, pronounced. Apparently, I pronounced it wrong the first time. I around. think the, fun, the fundamental. He's just another professor who hates capitalism. At the end of the day, he was not. Yeah, I think you were quite unkind to him. Actually, he really? was. He was trying to point out that the just he was just giving. Me. Of I was he was, he was to trying him. to point out that just giving is a business. It's not a charity. And I think that's the fundamental. Well, why do they call mis- it just taking yeah. then? But that's like the fundamental misconception that we all assume. Yeah, well, because when it it's called part, just giving, yes. well, exactly. you just think all they exactly. do is give. Exactly. But in fact, they don't just give. No, but actually, they take. They they had seen a gap in the market and provided a service. Very smart. Now, now that the publicity's come out, hopefully yeah. an alternative company will rise to the challenge that won't be snaffling so much of the money. Well, like for the one I referred to, yeah. you know, that organisation yeah, yeah, exactly. who, don't, who don't take a cut. So because, this is a good thing. It's listen, a good thing that this has come listen, to light. It is a good thing because the truth is always better than a lie. And the bottom line is, is if you are running a charity, you are not entitled to take money from people who are giving it to others, right? Just because you're running a business. I'm sorry. If you're doing that, you're running a business. You're not running a charity. No, but and they you don't call everyone. themselves a charity. Just giving doesn't. Call yeah, but lots of people think that they are involved Exa- in charitable work. That's what work. I'm saying. It's a misconception. The perception that, yeah, is wrong, and they need to. Po- they haven't exactly yeah. been stepping up to the plate to go. By the way, we're not we're actually not a, charity. a charity. We're exactly. a business. Exactly. 
but I think that's that. You know, Ian was talking on behalf of charities, and just giving isn't yes. a charity. That's the, well, like that's I say, charities problem. are a difficult thing to defend at the moment. They're having a terrible year. Now, there's nothing like a good showbiz bash, is there? I mean, I'm sure that there was a lot of charitable giving last night at the BAFTAs, uh, which were held last night, of course. Uh, no longer presented by Stephen Fry, uh, no. but instead presented by somebody else who I'm not actually going to give a plug to because it was so awful. I have um, heard, I'm afraid I missed it, but I have heard that it, um, it, it wasn't a laugh a minute. Uh, it was not a laugh a minute, no. But also, one of the weird things about the BAFTAs is that, uh, in addition to giving them out to great sort of thespians and people who have done great activities, even if it's just theatre uh, rather than television, people like Laurence Olivier, Dame Helen Mirren, you know, these kind of giants the of the theatre, the they're now giving them out to people like Amanda Holden from Britain's Got Talent and Love Island. Now, Love Island, but apparently the whole um, evening was themed around Love Island. Yeah. So there's a, the commentary was Well, it's an incredibly successful TV show, isn't it? But it is reality TV. It is reality TV. And now I'm going to now introduce BAFTA winner, China Ellis. China, a very good morning to you. Hi, good morning. How does it feel to be ranked up there with the greats of theatre? <laughs> Oh, do you know what? It feels, it's actually quite overwhelming. It's really, it's, I think it's a really great achievement for Love Island to get um, such a great award. So, yeah, no, it's really good. I was so happy when I found out. Well, because people are very snobbish about reality TV, aren't they? They talk about, you know, Big Brother being sort of down market, Love Island being just about people having sex, even though they're all beautiful. But, you know, there's a lot more to it than that, isn't there? Yeah, I think so. I think reality TV's. Um, I think it's. I think it's really good. It's interesting. It's like a true. It's. It's like. It's just. Well, I think it's just what everything what people enjoy watching. It's just you know, it's normal TV. It's normal people doing their day to day things. So it's relatable. So people can really relate to it. Right now, Daisy hasn't really seen Love Island, but she's got an eleven year old daughter. Do you think that <laughs> it's a suitable show for her? Um. Yeah, I think there's parts. I mean, obviously, there's parts of it that, you know, where, where you see sex and things like that, but you don't ever see anything that is bad. So I do think it is like it is okay for people that are 11 to watch it. I mean, I don't think it gives across like a bad impression of anything. And if anything, it's young girls can relate to certain situations when there is someone that they like or dislike and it doesn't usually work out. So, yeah. But, China, doesn't the whole kind of thesis of, of the programme just turn girls like yourself into sort of sex objects i don't i don't think it does and i know maybe i'm biased because i was on the show but i don't think it turns them into no not at all yeah i don't think you're a sex object i'll tell you what i have seen though i've seen a picture of you uh, in a uh, in a swimming pool in mallorca which i'm pretty sure is the same one that i rented a couple of years ago it's the one where you know <laughs> you're standing on a ladder and there's like a mountain in the background was that in mallorca in mallorca yeah and the, I don't know if that was in Mallorca. I think it was a mountain in the background. There's a mountain in the background, very blue swimming pool, and you're standing like on a ladder. I'm, I'm almost certain that's exactly the oh, same place. Oh, no, that place. was in Marbella. Oh, was it? OK. Oh, well, yeah. It looks very similar. Oh, well, never mind. So were you listening to the show last night, Shana? Were you, were you there? Were you watching it? No, I actually wasn't because I was out last night at an event, so I wasn't able to watch it. But my mum did, and she told me all about it. And she was, she told me when Love Island won, <laughs> so she was really pleased because she really enjoyed the show as well. Like a lot of people that I'm friends with and I speak to, really love the show. So, okay. and and is there going to be a kind of you know sort of after party uh, after BAFTA award party that you can all go to and have a reunion? Sorry, what was that? Are you going to have like an after BAFTA's party for a, like a reunion for all the people that were on Love Island that have won? I mean, I feel like we should. I haven't heard anything about it yet, but I mean, I'm always up for a party, so. Well, would it <laughs> be embarrassing though? Because if if you would, would it be embarrassing to see all the same people again though? 
Um, what from Love Island? From Love Island, yeah. Uh, no, because I see them quite a lot anyway, like at events and things like that. So I don't think it, it wouldn't be embarrassing. Um, there's no like awkwardness or anything. Um, it's probably a little bit awkward for the people that copped off and it didn't work out yet. <laughs> <laughs> but that's always awkward, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And what about the new series? Are you getting involved in that? Oh, my God, I'm really excited about the new series. I can't wait for it to start. Um, I've heard a few rumours here and there about a few, few certain things, so I'm excited to see how it plans out, really. Right, because there's a guy I know quite well who's putting the podcast of it together. <laughs> um, but I can't uh, say too much more than that. It's a bit of a secret at the moment. But maybe he'll be in touch with you. Oh, yeah. No, I think I did a trial run for that, actually. So oh, did you? We'll see. Oh, OK. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's already, out. it's already out then. OK, well, listen, thank you very much indeed. And well played once again for being a BAFTA Award winner. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Let's talk to a moth expert because I've always wanted to talk to a moth expert. And now we have one. Dr. Phil Sterling uh, is in Wareham, which is a beautiful part of Dorset. Dr. Phil, a very good morning to you. Oh, very good morning to you. Sorry Mike. to keep you waiting there not with all that talk of David Miliband's nipples. I'm not <laughs> yes, quite sure what sort of a, uh, an image has now been conjured up. But uh, I'll tell you what, I'm a bit worried about these toxic caterpillars because uh, I'm reading that their bodies are covered in tufts of brown hair, which, if they blow away in the wind, can actually fly into your eye and blind you. Yeah, that's that's uh, Mike. That's, just, that's a very dramatic response. I mean, most well, I'm a dramatic people, kind of guy. Yeah, of course, that's right. But most people who, if they come into contact with the minute hairs, these are, these are really, really tiny hairs. They're microscopic. Yes. And if, you, if your skin comes into contact with one of those, the normal reaction is something like a nettle rash, okay. but with a really acute itching. And right. it's nasty. I mean, it, you know, it will really make you want to scratch. Okay. And, and, and you must try not to. And, but, Phil, but, what are these caterpillars mm, called? They're called the brown tail moth caterpillar. Right. And, and um, the brown tail comes, uh, the name comes from the, the adult moth, which is bright white, and, and the the back end of it is covered in brown brown hair. And are okay. they indigenous? Oh yeah, they've they've been. They are the, now. They are now. They are now. They they are they are quite widespread at the minute. Oh. They were first found in well, first recorded in Britain in 1720. Wow. So and that was near, near London. So they're, okay. they're, they're And is there any particular reason? I mean, I, the story this morning I'm reading uh, has mm-hmm. is just regard to Cromer in Norfolk, which is another beautiful part of yeah, the yeah. coastline. I mean, that's where they seem to be mostly. But are they in other parts of Britain yeah, as well? Yeah, they're, they're, they're spread all the way from the coast, from from Spurnhead in Yorkshire, all the way down into into Devon and across into the Channel Islands as well. And they're gradually spreading inland. There's right. an outbreak not far from Newbury at the moment, and and every now and again they'll they'll you know they'll appear right in the middle of London too. Right. So I mean, can you can you tell one of these things apart from other caterpillars? I mean, if you were if, I, if a, a layman like me was to look at it, yeah. I saw a very weird looking caterpillar in the woods at the weekend. But it was a sort of small, I don't think it was one of these. It was small uh, and, and black and red. It looked to me. Yeah, now these things, the, these things are actually, it's a brown caterpillar, it's quite hairy. Uh-huh. The, rear, the characteristic things is they've got two orange warts halfway down their mm. back and, and tufts of white hairs down the side. And that, there's nothing else that looks quite like that. Ah, and, and what and, sort of length are they? They're, uh, when, they're, when they're in there, they're, they're sort of nearly fully grown. They're, they're over an inch long. Okay. And, and, but they live in a silk tent. So you don't just see one, you see hundreds of them. Oh, really? That's the point. So, so you see these um, bushes or trees covered in, in this sort of white silk tents that are, you know, quite, quite sizable, you know, bigger, bigger, than a, bigger than a teacup and, and, um, and spread out over the bushes. And, and the bushes tend to have the leaves stripped. So, so, so you can see that these white, grey-white silk tents all over the trees 
And and then if you look closely, you'll see the caterpillars on there. So in Norfolk, they they're, they're removing them, so yeah, they're, they're over concerns for public safety. Yeah. And whose response is that? The Environment Agency? Or? Well, no, it's not. I mean, interestingly, you know, it's probably each 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 local authority area right. will, will probably have a different strategy. But actually, you know, they're not a notifiable pest, so so there's no obligation on a public authority to to get rid of them. But most environmental health teams in local in, in local government will 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 you know happily accept the notification that they're there because obviously the more that there are then then the, the more need there is to do something about yeah. it but uh, and is but, there are, are they kind of predatory type uh, caterpillars in as much as do they kind of invade other caterpillars areas and take them over no not really no no they they, they, they run themselves a bit independently so every now and again every few years the population will rise and and then they'll take over an area and disappear again right. but you quite often find them in association with other caterpillars and other caterpillars don't seem to mind right. oddly um, they all they seem to come happily coexist ah. but it's when it comes into you know contact with birds or mice or humans or whatever yeah. then, then we, re- we you know us lot we really don't like them and what about uh, when they become moths are they are they less toxic then yes they are, are yeah, they? Yeah, yeah absolutely i mean these are these are a white moth they're, they're like in any other moth they're attracted to light and they yeah. come around but but no they're, they're they're other than just you know if you can imagine the 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 whole bush where the caterpillars have been living yeah. is kind of has got these hairs all around it. Mm. So sometimes the adult moth will get a few of those on them, but the, the, the adult moth in itself is not a, a problem. Okay. And in fact, the caterpillars are only going to be a problem for the next month. All right. So we've got a month now where we've where the ideal thing is just, just don't pick them up, don't go near them. If you can see them, then just leave them alone. Because last year, did we not have a bit of an infestation last year of something that came from Australia or something, which was like a yellow oh. caterpillar, which was really quite dangerous? Yeah, they're, they're every now and again. I mean, because, you know, we travel a lot these days, don't we? And yeah. so we, we do tend to, either inadvertently or deliberately, we bring things back with us. But actually, you know, we've been probably doing this for you know hundreds of years. I mean, the botanists were doing it, you know, in, in mm. ships you know, across to sure. Americas, weren't they? But, but so we're always bringing things back with us, and every now and again, something will we'll, we'll get going mm. when it probably shouldn't. And Phil, what should we be looking out um, for at the moment? What's, what's the sort of top hit list of, you know, if you want to, if you are looking for moths or boss fights? I was like, well, Mike, looking, I was looking not to be damaged by them. Looking not, no, no, I mean, I'm you know, not spotting moths. No. Oh, spotting moths. Oh, well, oh, at this time of the year, one of, one of our favourites that we see there is the, is the cinnabar moth. This is a red and black. Uh, moth, the one that's, um, that, uh, it, it, I mean, the caterpillars eat rag, ragwort, and they've got, they're the stripy jersey caterpillar, you know, with the yellow and black mm. caterpillar later on in the year. Now, the adult moth is day flying, and, it, and it's, uh, it'll be flying around, um, you know, get this sunny weather this week, and the first few of those will start to, to be flying around, and they're a very gentle flyer and, and, and nice to see around. So that's a, that's a beautiful That's a good, a good one. I yeah, saw yeah. a lovely little one when I was out for a walk with the dog this weekend, which was a sort of primrose yellow colour. What, well, moth? Yeah, yeah. Um, how do you tell the difference between a moth well, and a butterfly? Well, how do you tell the moth and the butterfly? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I personally... You don't I'm kill on... butterflies. That's how I tell the difference. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, from my <laughs> point of view, I, I see I see kind of butterflies as a bit of a cousin of moths. There are such a great range of moths, and butterflies are a kind of specialist group within yeah. that. So there's not an easy way to tell them apart. By and large, there are, butterflies are day flying and moths are night flying. Yeah. But but as I just said, cinnabar moth is a day flying moth. So there's mm. lots of those. And if but, you're a day flying moth, how mm. does that work with your vis-a-vis the attraction to light? Because I mean, it's all around you. Yeah, well, actually, quite. Well, how a lot would you of, know where to go? Yeah, well, quite a lot of day flying moths don't come to light. 
You know, so so the 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 cinnabar moth, it, it rarely ever seen in a you know at really? a light, and because they they just act like butterflies, ah. they just fly around just as butterflies would. Okay. But um, you mentioned that um, that uh, uh, primrose yellow colour. Yeah, that, it was a really that, pretty yeah, yellow. Yeah, lovely. I mean, that is the first of the year to hatch. It's the brimstone moth. There's a brimstone butterfly, which is all bright yellow and quite big, yeah. and this is the equivalent in the moth world. Yeah. This is the brimstone moth, and it's absolutely gorgeous. It was very pretty. Yeah. One yeah. of the most horrific things I've ever seen in my life, right, I was in Turkey, and oh, yeah. uh, my kids made me come over to this point, and the, there was a little sort of outdoor stage, and on the stage there was a moth, I kid you not, uh, that had a, two wings that were the size of my two hands put together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Good big. Lord. Yeah, it's there's, like there's, a there's, giant moth. Yeah, well... It, I've never seen anything more frightening. Yeah, difficult to know what that would be, but I reckon that would probably be the giant emperor moth, which occurs throughout southern Europe, and that is absolutely magnificent. I mean, there's no, nothing to be frightened of. That cannot hurt you, it, but it's a hell of a fright. Yeah, but I'm not keen. I'm not keen. I just don't like moths. You know what? When no. I was a kid, I read a book about um, mm -hmm. a pan book of horror, uh, which obviously wasn't true, <laughs> yeah, yeah, about yeah. a moth that got inside somebody's ear and then crawled all the way inside oh, the that'll brain. That'll do it. Yeah, so I've been scared yeah. of moths ever since. Uh, I mean, if always... I see them in the bedroom, I have to kill them. <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, dear. Mark. I'm really that's sorry. Not, that's not good. I know. I, know. No, I can't help it, though. It's trauma. I wonder if this is a male thing. My brother-in-law, who's mm -hmm. six foot four, yeah, yeah. You know, huge, he's terrified of moths. Yeah. I wonder if this is a more, more it's boys the only thing that worries me. It's the only thing that bothers me. Listen, fascinating stuff. Yeah, though. really Dr. good. Dr. Phil Sterling, thank you very much for Wareham and Dorset. What a great expert to be an expert in. I, I mean, we have experts in Brexit, experts in, you know, metallurgy. I'm much more interested in experts in moths. Yeah. Across the UK, online and on DAP, the Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio, via DAB, online or via the Talk Radio app. If you have an opinion on the stories we cover, we'd love to hear from you. Call us 0344 499 1000 or tweet at Talk Radio during the show to have your say. The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.